This is available as a podcast and a webinar. Bye! All right, good. Now we're now our afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh-huh. And welcome to uh, the 2022 Limited Jurisdiction Updates Part 1. Uh, we do say Part 1 for a reason that'll be pretty obvious uh, when we get to the rules section. Uh, and that's because uh, the Supreme Court has yet to decide on its rule petitions, and it won't do that until August. Uh, so um, that's why this is part one. And um, I'm Charles Adernetto. I hope you do know who I am by now. And with me is Judge Anna Huberman. We do have a bio in the materials. I now have an updated bio, uh, which does include that um, Judge Huberman has been appointed to the Arizona Judicial Council as of July 1 of this year. Uh, and um, I'll get that revised bio out to everybody. Uh, so welcome as always this, um, if assuming technology works as it should, which we can't guarantee because GoToMeeting threw us for a loop today. Um, but uh, if Zoom works as I hope it will, we'll post this on YouTube and also as a podcast. And with that, um, we'll take it away, Judge Huberman. All right. Yeah, speaking of technology, the internet went down in my courtroom today. So, oh, great. Yeah. So <laughs> only, unfortunately, the, the team's computer was working, uh, but the staff computer was not. So it's been quite a challenge today. But even so, I'm not willing to knock technology yet. I am a great believer in all the good things that technology has brought us and um, so we're going to talk a little bit about um, what laws are currently uh, for some reason uh, went into effect before the general start date of legislation uh, the legislation that will take effect on September 24th um, updating case law and then we'll talk a little bit about the rules agenda that's coming up. And then I do want to bring up a few things if we have time. That's actually from last year's update. Um, But I just kind of want to reinforce some of those changes to make sure that they're on everyone's radar that we're all paying attention to them. Um, So I guess we put this under the topic of breaking news because it's already uh, in effect. And we do have Judge Driggs here, so maybe she wants to talk about the Driggs jury instruction. Or I can do it if you prefer, but go ahead. If you want, I can. Um, so this is not Judge Lenore Driggs jury in Superior Court. He had a, um, his first jury trial after the pandemic. It was a three-day trial. They broke for um, lunch on the third day, right before closing arguments. And then he was sent a picture by another judge who was at a, a, a restaurant of all six. So six of his jury members were drinking beer um, during lunch. And so, you know, not wanting to chastise them because they were all adults and he didn't tell them not to drink when they left for lunch. He just told them there was something came up that they needed to continue the next day and that he would buy lunch. And um, so they would come on the, you know, on that following Friday, on that Friday. Um, so now he feels that he does need to give this admonition when they break for lunch is to not 
drink any alcoholic beverages or do drugs during the lunch break because uh, you don't want to risk a mistrial um, because they were not, you know, in their right minds when they made the decision. <laughs> Thank right, you. And, and again, I need to remind everyone to mute yourself. And uh, if you don't mute yourself, I will mute you. If I can't mute you, I will dismiss you from the meeting because we are getting quite a bit of background noise. So please unmute yourself unless you are asking a question. Teresa Harper, you need to mute yourself. All right, Judge Huberman. All right. So these are just two laws that were uh, adopted on an emergency basis for some reason. They did not wait until the effective general date of September. Um, so there's a new class one misdemeanor for uh, minors attending uh, animal fights or cock fights. Uh, I, I, I would assume that there have to be some justice courts that might get these cases. Um, these are usually investigated by the MCSO, so they would come to justice court. I've never seen one, but just be aware. Um, and then the next one has to do with catalytic converters. Uh, it has to do with the sale and unlawfully purchasing or possessing uh, catalytic converters. So that's just another one to, uh, to bear in mind. Um, and then um, the, everyone might remember that during the pandemic, one of the first things that the Supreme Court did was to suspend the notice of judges. So from about April of 2020, the notice of judges a matter of right had been suspended in all, in all case types, uh, but they're back. So any case that was filed as of April 1st, the the change of judges is again allowed so just be aware of that if you do get notice don't act on the case only rule 10.2 to the criminal rules does say that if necessary the judge can enter emergency orders uh, so if you need to deal with release orders or something like that uh, but then do not act on the case anymore. Um, just let the manager and the court know. Uh, and uh, if you've been noticed, you, you can no longer continue on the case. Um, the Most of the cases on the justice court rules, um, most of those notices we get in writing. Um, I, <laughs> uh, you would only be noticed as a pro tem if you were the judge of the trial and they find out at the day of trial and then you get noticed. Uh, but in general, uh, those we, we usually get those in advance. Uh, the eviction is more common that they come into the court, they don't know who the judge is. And when they see someone on the bench, they might file the notice then. Um, so just be aware that if you're noticed, just don't act on the case and have it sent to another court. And then the, we've been playing with this mitigation matrix for a while. It does say new here. Um, 
but we've had this. Um, yes, it is the the notice of judges is cases filed after April first. It's important that the cases be filed after April first, not that the notice be after April first. So if they want to notice, you know, now a case that was already filed in February or whatever, they can't do it. Um, only on cases that were filed after April 1st. <clears throat> so this, this mitigation matrix just is a clarification of the things that weren't um, that weren't actually that we weren't clear on some of the things, what could be mitigated, what could do community restitution, what couldn't do community restitution. Um, so hopefully this matrix will help a little. Um, so you know which ones can do community restitutions, which ones cannot do community restitution. Um, and the, the assessments, everything that is assessment is an assessment on a fine. So if the fine is zero, there is no assessment. There can't be an assessment um, on a zero fine. Uh, but if there is a fine, then there has to be an assessment. Um, and I will point out, and this is one of the things that I did want to talk about from last year, the $1,000 drag race assessment, that is a new assessment that has to be imposed for all drag racing cases. Um, and the only way that you can get rid of the $1,000 assessment is imposing a zero fine. So it, it does tie our hands a little in as much as you can either give them zero or at a minimum, I think it's $1,024 or something is the minimum amount that you that, that can be imposed. There's no middle ground for racing cases. Uh, so just take that into account. Um, these again are assessments, the, the 13, the, the nine, the two. There was some conversation at some point that the, uh, Victim fees and all that uh, had to be added, even if there was a zero fine. Uh, but that is not the case. If there's no fine, there's no assessment, um, except for the the time payment fee. <clears throat> and the I, I, there were still some questions over the notice of judges. Um, the, the 10 days, you, you need to look at each of the different rules because each of the different case types has different rules as to when they can be filed. Um, so it's not necessarily the, the, the 10 days that you, you, you should look at, I mean, unless we want to go into the whole note of the change of judge, um, you just need to look at each one of the rule types to see. Um, but I think the important part is that the um, that it has to be for cases filed after uh, after April first, and I would suggest that if the pro tem has been assigned on a case that was filed before April first, there was still no notice of change of judge on those cases. All right, we're going to slide over to legislation, and this is legislation that does have the general effective date of September 24. Uh, and that is going to be really important that you have that date etched in your memory, particularly for orders of protection. And you'll see why 
coming up momentarily and coming up now. All right, so uh, the first thing is for orders of protection, uh, they're now gonna be valid for two years. And that is two years if they are served on or after September 24 of 2022. So that does mean that you now, when you're doing an order of protection and okay, uh, Mr. Orr, I, I have just muted you and Judge Peck, I've muted you as well. So please mute yourselves when you join. Uh, you can unmute yourself if you have a question. Um, so you do have to explain to people that if the order, because we don't know exactly when it's going to be served. If the order of protection is going to be served uh, before September 24, then it's just for one year. If it's going to be served on or after September 24, it's going to be valid for two years. So as we get closer to September 24, you're really going to have to explain that to people. It's going to be really hard for law enforcement to figure out, uh, you know, in, in the dead of night when they're shining a flashlight on the order of protection, they're going to have to be able to um, maybe even have a calendar on them to figure out whether that is a, an order of protection that's valid for one year or two. Uh, but that is what the legislature did to us. Uh, this does not inf affect injunctions against harassment. It is only for orders of protection. Uh, and for those of you um, that are in the smaller counties, uh, you can do uh, emergency orders of protection by telephone only during the hours that the courts are closed and emergency orders of protection will expire after seven calendar days from issuance. And their legislature saw fit to create a lifetime injunction against harassment. And this is um, for dangerous offenses, which are serious uh, offenses, um, violent or, or aggravated felonies. Um, so this is going to be applicable to felonies, not to us. Um, and um, you know, it, it would have to be a pretty extreme situation for it to be applicable to us. And I, I would assume it's not going to be applicable to us. Uh, so the Superior Court judge is going to order an, uh, an immediate lifetime injunction, injunction against harassment um, so that the defendant does not harass the crime victim. And the one change that that did make for us is if you recall, there was an extra definition of harassment that was added just last year for victims of defendants convicted of committing crimes. So this is gonna disappear again uh, as of September 24. We're gonna be back to uh, a series of events or one um, act of sexual violence. So um, the definition of injunction against harassment is going to get a little easier again. And there is a definition, uh, uh, an amendment to the definition of the crime of harassment. Uh, we haven't moved to the criminal section yet. Uh, and so why is this here? This is here uh, because um, we, uh, it does affect the definition for an act of domestic violence under um, uh, a, an order of protection. Um, so it's, it's a change to the definition to the crime of harassment, which oddly enough affects orders of protection. It does not affect um, your basis for an injunction against harassment. And it also does create, um, it, it adds 
the violation of an emergency order of protection or violating a condition of release by contacting a harassment victim, that is added to the felony definition of aggravated harassment. Uh, so there are our conditions of release now have more teeth. Uh, one of the tweaks that the amendment does do is it does tweak the definition of the crime of harassment to include only one false report to law enforcement. Um, that is somewhat concerning because we don't really want to uh, limit the ability of people to contact law enforcement. But if um, somebody does, if there is a finding that there was a, oh, golly, we're going to, this meeting's going to end in 10 minutes. Sometimes it extends at the end, so hopefully it will. All right, so uh, the rest of the statute does say that the person knowingly and repeatedly commit, oh, commits an act or acts that harass another person or the person knowingly commits any one of the following acts in a manner that harasses by contacting another person, following a person in public after being asked to desist, surveils or causes another person to surveil, makes a false report to law enforcement, or interferes with the delivery of a utility. And again, um, the felony aggravated of harassment now includes those changes. All right, Judge Huberman. Yeah, I mean, I would just, like you said before, cautious, you know, caution everyone to, to with these because we hear this a lot about how they made false reports to DES and called DES on me. They, you know, the, and, you know, just kind of be careful about what you're going to accept as a basis for an order of protection. Um, that that I, I just just be cautious is I guess all we can say about that. Um, again, as part of the legislation with the delayed with the with the general uh, date of September twenty fourth, there will no longer be answer fees in eviction cases. Uh, so the courts will no longer request uh, the defendants to pay an answer fee. So now the obligation is a judge that you had to tell someone that they could uh, apply for a waiver of the answer fee is no longer going to be needed because there is no longer going to be an answer fee. And then we can go on to the sealing of records. This is also, will also, <clears throat> the, the emergency rule petitions were just to adapt to this new legislation. So the sealing of eviction records. So all the what the legislation contemplates is that all cases that are dismissed prior to an entry of judgment or when the judgment is in favor of the tenant um, will, uh, will have to be sealed. So, um, and, and this is for all types of evictions. So for forcible detainers and, and special detainers. And 
In Maricopa County, we are working on getting this automated. So, <clears throat> uh, I guess the law says that the court has to enter the order uh, for the case to be sealed. Uh, so we've been looking at different ways. Uh, I think that the easiest way is going to be for the courts to have a standing um, order saying that all eviction cases that fall in these categories will be sealed. And so that way there will always be a court order. Um, you can write on the judgment or on the dismissal order, you know, sealing the case. Uh, that would be the order to seal. Uh, but the sealing itself is going to be done um, through our uh, ISIS system. Uh, so as long as the, 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 the events are entered in ISIS, then our system will seal those cases. Oh, did you can't hear me? I can hear you. Oh. Um, I I don't know. Um, I can hear you as well. Okay, thank you. I can hear you. <clears throat> All right, just making sure. Um, so the 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 sealing of records should um, not really change things for us if we if if the courts have those standing orders. Um, if they do not, then you will have to enter an order sealing the record. Um, in the cases when um, the the eviction is dismissed prior to a judgment being signed. All right. All right, let's move into the criminal statutes. Uh, one of the things that was done after the judicial conference uh, was this bill was adopted and it is now a, it, well, as of September 24, it will be a class three misdemeanor for a third person to video a police encounter within eight feet after a verbal warning. Uh, the subject or the occupants of a stopped vehicle may record as long as they are not interfering. And um, I included this slide again, if you're asking why, it's because just in case there's somebody who is only looking at the, under the criminal section, and not thinking to look under the order of protection section, so it's there twice. And animal cruelty, for those of you who do do initial appearances, um, if you do have someone who's charged with a new violation of animal cruelty and they've had that charge before, you're gonna have to impose a condition of release that prohibits that person from possessing or having contact with any animal. Uh, there is a new class two misdemeanor to interfere with a crime scene investigation. Uh, there is a new class one misdemeanor uh, to force someone to get a COVID vaccination without the consent of a parent or guardian. Uh, it does define a governmental entity as a state or political subdivision which receives state tax revenues. It, does not specifically mention the judiciary, uh, as does the mask uh, um, provision that we'll see later. And there is a new class three felony for filing a false UCC lien. Uh, that is here. Uh, and um, so because that may be in effect for uh, our um, 
people are, are sovereign citizens. All right, Judge Huberman. Judge Huberman, you're muted. Yeah, sorry. So this is the law that was passed uh, in this legislative session, but does have a delayed um, effective date to January 1st because uh, the courts need a little bit of time to get organized with this. The, the statute has vastly ex, uh, expanded the list of offenses for which the 10 fingerprint um, is needed. Right now, we only order them for domestic violence cases, for DUIs, and uh, for sexual offenses. Uh, but now, it, it's a really, really long list. Uh, I was looking at the list. I think that most of them are cases that we will never get. And they have included all the class six felonies that could be class one misdemeanors. Uh, but I don't, those don't get piled with us directly. So I don't think those will be an issue. But there are a lot of other offenses that have to do with false reporting, um, you know, not giving true name, those kind of things that have to do with truthfulness. All of those are going to be now on the list requiring the 10 print. Uh, we're also trying to come up because the, the, there is actually on the order, uh, the statute uh, doesn't have the list of the exact offenses. The AOC is uh, trying to determine which those offenses are. And we in Maricopa County are also trying to come up with a system by which we can flag them in ISIS. So our staff will know ahead of time which that if they get a filing that this is one of the offenses that requires fingerprints and that way they can flag it for the judge and have the judge um, have the file prepared to order the fingerprints uh, when, at a range. So as you can see that this is what the order says. It just says the offenses listed in and it gives the, the offenses and there's no actual list of which ones they are. So it makes it a little bit more difficult for us to memorize which ones they are going to be. Um, so I, I don't know how you know the other counties are gonna deal with that, but in Maricopa County, we're gonna actually load those into ISIS for the judges. Um, you can talk about Hazen. All right, so uh, there is now a class one misdemeanor for hazing uh, and a class two misdemeanor for planning or organizing hazing. Uh, so look out fraternities. And laser pointers, uh, the prior misdemeanor of pointing a laser pointer at peace officers or aircraft has been split. If it's intentional, it's now a felony. If it's reckless, it remains a misdemeanor. Um, I'm not quite sure how they're going to prove uh, intent for that. Uh, and, and we did have a previous question about, is this a real thing? And, and yes, this is a real thing. People do uh, point their laser pointers at aircraft. Uh, and there is an exception to the misdemeanor of altering a VIN if the removal and restoration is necessary for the repair or restoration of a vehicle that is not stolen. 
All right, and for, uh, this is effective January 1, 2023. It does allow for a special ignition interlock restricted driver's license. Uh, I think that's, uh, has a, um, it's a, we call it a CERTL, um, rather than a suspension for implied consent violations that the defendant waives their hearing. Uh, so that, that's just kind of an interesting uh, take on the matter is, if they want to have a hearing to contest it, then their license will be suspended for a year. If, if they agree not to request a hearing, they'll just get a restricted driver's license. Uh, and um, it may be the same for DUI under the same conditions. So if they waive their administrative hearing, um, they can get that restricted driver's license. That's a matter for MBD. So that's just more of an FYI for you. All right, and then in House Bill 2719, uh, it, there is some clarification uh, on what identifying information we give out on uh, to victims. Uh, so you, you may want to review that and, and make sure that your public information officers review that. All right, Judge Huberman. All right, so previously we talked about the sealing of uh, eviction records. These are criminal records. This was legislation that was passed last year, um, but it they delayed the effective date till January 1st of 23. Um, so this allows the defendants to apply to have their records sealed. Um, the judge will have to inform the defendants that they have this right. I've already been telling them about it now when I tell them that they have the ability to apply to have the conviction set aside. I also tell them that this new law will go into effect um, the, because it's not on our paperwork yet because it hasn't gone into effect yet. So I've already been telling them um, and that uh, there, there will eventually be rules. Well, I, I'm sure uh, that they will say when you, you know, that should be part of the, of, of when you need to tell them. Um, and so they can apply for or request the sealing of records if they've completed all the terms of their sentence. They can do it in all cases where they've been found not guilty or the cases have been dismissed or when they've been arrested and no charges have been filed. For us, um, it, uh, they, they, can, they need to wait three years uh, for class one misdemeanor and two years for class two or three misdemeanors. So it's not immediate, um, but they can, starting in January, ask to seal records of cases that happened three years ago. So we could theoretically uh, be getting a lot of those requests. Um, and then if they had prior felony convictions then they have to wait for five years. And, and I'll just point out that the legislature forgot about petty offenses because there's no time frame for petty offenses. Uh, presumably, they did not intend that you not be able to seal a petty offense. Uh, that would make a whole lot of sense. Um, so, um, you know, maybe the best practice there is to apply the two-year standard to that. Um, and then, if they request that the records be sealed, they can't have convictions after um, after the the, the, the the offense that they're requesting be sealed um, unless they're just traffic offenses that aren't DUI. 
Um, and then there's the disqualifying dangerous offenses. Uh, we, 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 we won't get those because those are felonies. Um, and then just as the setting aside, they can still be used as priors. So even though they're sealed, uh, they're not sealed for the law enforcement agencies and they can still be used as priors. Um, I, I think it's, you know, I, I tell them that now when they set aside the conviction, that they must be aware that setting aside a conviction does not mean that, you know, it's still going to be their first DUI or their second DUI or whatever it is. Um, and then they have to file it in the court where they were convicted. Um, and then the explanation when it has to go to the Superior Court. So you would expect that the court that uh, where the, 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 the misdemeanor was convicted, that that will be the court where they will ask for the, for the sealing of the records. Uh, the state and the victims have 30 days to respond. If there's other criminal charges pending, you cannot grant it, uh, which is why it's important to let the state respond. Uh, not that I'm encouraged that the state's going to give us timely and correct information on that, but it, it is uh, just, uh, you know, allow them to give the information they need to give. Um, and then if the state or the victim requests a hearing, uh, then you need to set a hearing to have them uh, to allow them to be heard. Um, and, and then the court must grant it if it's in the best interest of the petitioner and the public safety, but if it's denied, it, it can be appealed. So um, again, Maricopa County, we are working on getting these to be able to be sealed automatically through ISIS. Uh, so again, once the, uh, the the proper information is entered in ISIS, in this case, it would be that the judge granted the sealing of the records, uh, then it will be uh, done in the system. And then you won't need to do anything else particularly for that. And then I see that Charles answered the question that we had, uh, the times count from the completion of the sentence. All right, let's uh, move on to civil traffic. Are there any other questions about anything we've had thus far? All right, so, um, and we've talked about this before, uh, motorcycle lane splitting. Uh, some of you think that this, uh, I, I think the legislature thinks that this increases safety for motorcyclists. Um, others would contest that. Uh, what I think is funny about this is once again on Sunday, I saw somebody doing this, so they already think it's legal, uh, but this will allow motorcycles to pass between the lanes um, uh, in certain circumstances. This is just here in case you're, you're getting uh, doing a civil traffic matter and somebody has been sighted on a motorcycle and this, this may be available as a defense. All right, robot delivery vehicles. Uh, has been added to the definition of neighborhood occupantless electric vehicle, uh, and they will be allowed on streets with speed limits no greater than 45. So yes, this is coming. Um, I, I also saw that Walmart is going to start delivery via drone. So uh, uh, look out for that. All right, juveniles. 
So for juvenile representation, uh, both the legislature, they did, the legislature did this in two bills and the Supreme Court um, and the AOC has filed an emergency rule petition uh, to go ahead and uh, undo the mess that the legislature did last year. And so this will specifically provide that the court is required to appoint an attorney for a child in delinquency proceedings that commence with a petition or that may involve detention instead of in all delinquency proceedings. Uh, so, and, and in Title VIII, there is a distinction between starting a proceeding with a petition and starting a proceeding with an ATTC. Uh, in our courts, we see that, that matters are started with ATTC. So unless a DUI is cited into our court or a second uh, offense, reckless driving, or um, we, we, uh, which would involve detention, um, we would not have a situation where an attorney needs to be appointed. Uh, so that again will take effect on September 24 and the emergency rule petition would take effect the same day, assuming that that is passed in August. Uh, and this will undo the problem that was created last year. All right, a few other um, statutes of note. Uh, House Bill 2675 does require DPS to collect information concerning, concerning criminal offenses that manifest evidence of prejudice based on anti-Semitism. That definition actually refers to uh, external materials. So they kind of um, delegated the definition of anti-Semitism, which is somewhat concerning. Uh, the last slide does include a link to all of the bills and pack rule packages that we've cited here today. And I included the definition of anti-Semitism materials in that high-tail high space as well. Uh, at this point, it doesn't look like the courts are going to have to do any additional reporting, um, but DPS, we'll, we'll see down the road. All right, the legislature also did a provision regarding uh, artificial grass. Uh, the legislature is taking a closer look at HOAs. Uh, so I did include this in here as well, because some of you uh, do have a lot of HOAs in your precincts and are going to have to be cognizant of this. And masks, um, a governmental entity, and this bill does specifically include courts, is prohibited from imposing any requirement to wear a mask or face covering anywhere on the premises except where longstanding workplace safety and infection control measures that are unrelated to COVID-19 may be required. And then fireworks, cities and counties may ban fireworks between 11 p.m. and 8 a.m. the next morning, except on July 4th and December 31. Um, uh, Judge Huberman, why, why were those two days excluded? <laughs> All right, and so just a reminder, these are the ones that don't start till January 1. Uh, and you know, both the sealing of criminal records and 10 print fingerprints were probably going to need to come back to uh, because you know, with, with reminders, because those are going to be pretty major changes. So uh, 
stay up, stay up on your emails because we'll, we'll keep you up to date on that. All right, we do have one uh, for case law. Uh, Judge Jim Blake from Scottsdale was kind enough to give us another 90 minutes. Uh, and these are hot links, so you can click on the YouTube uh, link or you can do the audio only podcast to stay up to date on case law. And um, there was a, a civil case of interest, um, and this one is also regarding HOAs. It's kind of interesting, both, both the uh, legislature and the Supreme Court were looking at HOA conduct a little more closely. Uh, Judge Williams, you're the one who brought this to our, our attention. Did, did you want to comment on that? I suppose I could. Uh, in the HOA cases that go to trial, uh, usually for non-payment of assessments, um, and then all the things that are added on top of that, the the homeowner frequently comes back saying the HOA didn't have the authority to charge this money because they thought they didn't follow their own internal rules. And I think this case gives HOA, the, the homeowners more authority to make those types of claims now. Um, their uh, HOAs sometimes do kind of whatever they want in terms of amending their CCNRs, and if they're outside of the the original HOA declaration, um, and there's no, there wasn't sufficient notice or whatever, um, then the HOA is not going to be able to go forward with whatever their new and improved idea may be. I don't have any particular insight in this case. I just thought it was interesting when it came out. Um, I haven't had a tenant try to raise um, this defense or anything or cited, or I haven't had a, an attorney who represents homeowners against HOA cited in anything yet. I, I just thought it was interesting. All right, thank you. And um, Judge Huberman? So as, as for the upcoming rules, um, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're going to meet in August, and I guess they'll come up with the rules. Um, I think that the, the small claim rules um, had to do with, oh, it's, it's escaped my mind right now. Um, it, was, it was just a clarification. Um, Charles, maybe you can help me. I can't remember now what it was. Yeah, it was primarily on motions to set aside. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. Um, we'll see if it passes. You know, if, if these rules pass, then as, as Charles said, we'll have another uh, session to talk about them. Uh, the, the motion, the eviction one, is the, there's, uh, aside from the legislation that requires evictions to be sealed in cases that were dismissed before a judgment is signed. There is a rule pending to actually uh, vacate judgments and seal the records of all cases that have been uh, vacated. So this would mean that any 
judgment that has been paid off uh, would be vacated and then consequently sealed. Uh, we'll see what happens with the rules once uh, that that one will be a little bit more involved uh, than the legislation that that we just talked about. Uh, we'll see when that comes around. And well, I guess we'll go on to the questions. Uh, oh, oh, you did add a slide. You had in a slide for this. Thank you. So I just wanted to remind everyone um, that last year there were changes, significant changes in the statutes on aggressive driving, reckless driving, and racing. And Still to date, I find that every time I mention these, like the attorneys don't even know what I'm talking about. So I just thought maybe I should, you know, throw in here a reminder. Uh, a aggressive driving statute was changed. If, if the person is convicted of a second aggressive driving within 24 months of the first conviction, the second time around it is charged as a felony. It becomes a class six felony and carries a minimum of 10 days in jail. So, I mean, again, I think it's important to tell defendants that get these convictions, uh, that, that these are now become priors to another case of aggressive driving, which, which becomes really serious because it becomes a felony. Reckless driving, a second conviction within 24 months, um, was charged as a class one misdemeanor. So reckless, the first conviction is a class two. A second conviction for reckless is a, a class one misdemeanor and carries a minimum of 20 days in jail. And, uh, and racing uh, also uh, carries a, a, an enhanced sentence for a second racing conviction. Uh, and it also requires jail time. And then racing, like I said before, uh, and now has attached that $1,000 assessment. Um, so all of these cases are pretty serious. Um, the legislature is taking them seriously. Um, and uh, some of them actually might have more, more consequences than DUIs. So uh, just be aware, they all carry eight points on your license. Um, so, so they have significant consequences. And so I think it's important that as judicial officers, we understand that and you know, to make sure that we're updated and know uh, the consequences for the defendants. And, and, and I'll just point out for uh, aggressive driving, uh, at least in Maricopa County, that is jury trial eligible. We've had a couple of lower court appeals uh, that have found that there was a common law antecedent for uh, aggressive driving to get a jury trial. Uh, so just keep that in mind. Uh, and then the next point I do have there is for interest rates. I just heard this morning that tomorrow the Fed may raise interest rates uh, three quarters of a percent. Uh, and so I will always get questions of, you know, is that in effect now? And, and no, it's not in effect until it's actually published. Our statute does say it, it has to be published. We do have the link to where it is published. I will be looking out for that. Usually it will publish on Friday afternoon. So I will go ahead and send out an email if and when the interest rates do go up. 
if, and then I also get questions about what rates to change. If it is a legal, if, if it's the legal interest rate and it's after the, the new rate has been published, you should change that to the legal interest rate. Uh, it is our job to apply the correct interest rate. However, if it's a stipulated judgment, the parties stipulated to a certain rate, uh, in my opinion, you would leave that rate unchanged. Uh, and we did get a comment from Denise Holiday. Denise, do you want to pop in and, and mention that? Yeah, there was an interesting ruling from the Court of Appeals. <clears throat> it was basically a commercial case. Um, it's, I listed it inside the um, chat box, but it, it, it was an interesting ruling in that following an eviction action, the tenants' uh, possessions were stolen. It happened to be a jewelry store, were stolen allegedly out of the property. And so the case was strongly litigated. The, the case was upheld on appeal and said the landlord is not the um, bailey or responsible for the tenant's possessions if they're stolen after an eviction action. Just kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting ruling. All right, and, and Judge Williams just also commented on that. Judge Williams, did you want to add anything? Well, I was going to look up the site and share it, but it's not published yet. <laughs> so there's no site to share other than, other than the Westlaw site. So I just copied head note three or head note four and shared it with everybody, which is what um, which is from the Westlaw summary of that same case. All right. And so at this point, do we have any questions, comments, concerns? <laughs> We are running a little early. Uh, if we want full cojet credit, let's let's get a couple of questions. Uh, there must be something on your mind. We, we do want to mention, and we were going to mention this at the pro tem roundtable, uh, that damages when you're doing in justice court, uh, damages can include pain and suffering, and they can include punitive damages. And the same is true in small claims court. Uh, we'll talk about it tomorrow at the pro tem roundtable. We'll, uh, we're also going to do a separate session on uh, on uh, damages in justice court and in small claims court. Uh, how will we know which charges will require a 10 print? Uh, both the AOC uh, and uh, we will be working on that. And so hopefully we will have a uh, chart um, and as Judge Huberman indicated, uh, we may it may be able to pop up an ISIS. We're, we're working on that. Uh, and um, we'll, we should have a more specific list. Uh, the, one of the problems is one of the categories is crimes involving dishonesty, which can possibly be almost anything. Uh, so uh, that, that does make it a little more difficult. Judge Huberman, did you? want to say anything else about that? No, I just saw how Judge Dowling reacted to the crimes of dishonesty. And I think that kind of um, echoes all of our sentiments as to that. Um, like I said, the list right now is really, really long. And I mean, I think that as with all of the things that we do, the things that come up um, frequently, we will know, you know, you'll get into the habit and you'll know that, that you know, false reporting, you have to request the fingerprints and 
Um, and then if you get a, a crime that doesn't come up often, you just may have to go to the chart and, and look it up. Uh, but as I said, our plan is to have these flagged in ICES uh, so that when the, the clerks open the file from the beginning, when they open the file with the paperwork, they would put in there the fingerprint order indicating to the judge that this is uh, an offense that requires a temperance. Uh, I don't know how other counties will, they may have to just go to the chart, but uh, maybe the AOC can do it for the Ajax scores. I don't know. Yeah, and uh, uh, Mr. Kielski indicates that shoplifting is considered dishonest under federal principles, principles of moral turpitude. So yeah, I mean, that that does show just how how wide ranging that can be. Anything right, which is why the AOC is doing the, the study of it. It wasn't like they could just say, you know, this, this ARS, yes, this ARS, no. They've had to actually go through and do an analysis to see if it falls under them. So, and, which is why we got the delayed uh, effective date because there was just no way to get that done by September. All right, and uh, I, I went back to the slide to, to show you that this is a hot link. So if you click on that, and, and uh, that will take you right to the website. And I'll also back up to this one. Uh, for those of you who don't follow me on Facebook, uh, that is the 9,000 piece Titanic that uh, I'm working on with my wife and grandkids. Uh, so that, that explains why that is there. Uh, and so Judge Huberman, you're, <clears throat> is the sheriff's office ready? I, I, and you know, we, we, we had a phone call on Monday with some of the city judges and um, they were under the perhaps uh, hope that that statute was um, discretionary. Uh, no, the statute does say shall, so it, it is mandatory. And, and a lot of the city police departments are, are not happy about it and, and not going to be um, willing to easily implement that. Judge Huberman, do you want to talk about our sheriff? Well, I mean, right, apparently the city, the city courts have more of an issue. They have their police departments give them a lot of limitation as to what days and what hours people can get fingerprinted. So uh, they, they have more concerns than we do. Uh, we're still trying to work on a way to see if we can get these reported at the time of arrest and not have to send them um, to, to get fingerprinted. It's just that it has to be on the, because we know they're fingerprinted when they're arrested. They just have to be reported to DPS. So we, we're, we're trying to work on that uh, to see what we can do to try to make it easier for everyone. But um, the Sheriff's Department, I don't think, I, I didn't hear any concerns from them in particular. They, the, the, the office that does it, you know, they're open five days a week and they're open all day. So, I mean, I don't think that they'll have a problem accommodating. I, I just think that, you know, to me, it just, it's, it's very difficult when you're sending litigants, you know, from surprise to have to go downtown to get fingerprinted and that we can't give them alternative options. Uh, we've been working on that forever, uh, but it, there, there just doesn't seem to be any interest in, in getting that done. So we are looking for alternatives though. 
All right. Uh, if unless there's any other questions or comments, uh, we'll plan to wrap it up. Again, we'll send out that invite for part two after the Supreme Court's rules. Uh, we'll probably uh, get together again in December for those couple of big changes uh, that are going to hit us on January 1. Uh, and um, if you have any questions, you can always reach out to Judge Huberman or to myself. And, yeah, and for those of you who have questions about the notice of change of judge and the rules, we will go into that more in depth tomorrow. So join us tomorrow. All right. Have a great day.